would please turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. You're looking at the first six verses. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 through 6. If you would please join with me in the reading of the Word of God. Now I, Paul, myself, urge you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I who am meek when face to face with you, but bold toward you when absent. I ask that when I am present, I need not be bold with confidence with which I purpose to be courageous against some who regard us as if we walked according to the flesh. Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive for obedience to Christ. And we are ready to punish all disobedience whenever your obedience is complete. Father, teach us. Teach us to be bold when we need to be and confident in the authoritative and errant word of God. And Father, may we understand that the power is not us. It is not our systems or our methods. It is your spirit carrying your word, accomplishing your will. Father, when I look at my brother Paul, I think um, all that he endured and yet his heartache over the church, his daily concerns. Father, may we who are called by your name understand that what we are in is a war. And we are fighting an enemy who takes no prisoners. Father, please help strengthen us for the tasks that are at hand. The walks that each and every one of us has. And for the mission that you send us forward with. Father, we love you. May our love grow with every breath you grace us. And then, Father, may we stand in the authority of your scripture. In Christ's name, amen. We moved into chapter 10, and if you look at the, the context of this whole book, and we've been going through it now for a while, the 10th through the end of the book is dealing with what I could, you could basically surmise in, in one statement as spiritual warfare. I hear a lot about spiritual warfare and uh, I've got to be honest with you, it's a little troubling because most of it, I think, is completely wrong. And part of the reason is, is that the Apostle Paul lays it out here in chapter 10 to the end of the book on what the battle is. I, I hear a lot of things that are taught. It's, it's kind of tragic what I hear. But this one here, this section here, verses 1 through 6, is basically a victory in spiritual war. How do I get victory in spiritual war? And I've got four things there, compassion, courage, competent, and calculating. And, and basically what I'm dealing with is if you're a soldier, okay, there are things that you must have as a soldier that will give you an opportunity for victory. When I look at these first six verses, that's what I see. Now, I know a lot of people want to grab chapter 6 out of Ephesians and say you got the helmet and the breastplate and the shield and all this other stuff. That's great. You know, if you want to hang with that, you can. But what I've learned is, is that if you do it as Paul is giving and instructing us through these last four chapters, you will have victory. 
Okay, because I, I think a lot of people that I, I watch and I deal with and I listen to, they don't even know who the enemy is. And, and that's, that's a little troubling. And, and yet, if you don't know who the enemy is, I'm pretty much convinced that you're not prepared for battle. That's what we're moving through right now. Last week, or last two weeks, we've been looking at verse 1 on the compassion of the warrior. I have shared with you, a number of you, that I have had the privilege in my life to know some soldiers. And one of the things that I notice about the ones that I have had time with is that they are extremely compassionate. They do not want to use force, but if they have to, they will. And I, we kind of get in our minds, we, we watch these Hollywood movies, and we think that this is what soldiers are, and they're not. Uh, they're, they're not the ones that I know and have, have had to spend a lot of time with, they're not. And the Apostle Paul kind of uses this here because he wants them to know, I urge you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. Because, see, Paul knew the character of he who called him to battle. To use our vernacular, his commander-in-chief. He knew what was expected. And he knew that he was going to be a representative of his Lord. And he was going to fight the way his Lord did. The words there, you see, meekness and gentleness. The word gentleness is, is an extreme power under extreme control. Uh, and I always found that fascinating. And then the meekness term is that there is a humbleness there that says, you know, I'm not here to break the bruised reed. All right. We understand in our studies that we've been going through the Corinthian letters that they had some issues. There was a, a letter that we don't have that came before first Corinthians. Then we have. First Corinthians, and he confronts them. I mean, it isn't until chapter seven that he even says, now concerning the things you wrote me about. I mean, if, and if you look at the first six chapters, he is blistering them. Okay. And then he makes a surprise visit to Corinth. And when he gets there, people assault him and confront him and accuse him in the middle of the church service. And nobody in the church defends him. So he leaves brokenhearted, goes back to Ephesus. When he gets to Ephesus, he sends Titus back with a letter that we don't have called the severe letter. All right. After receiving the severe letter, Titus comes back with this great report and says, hey, a big majority have repented, have changed. And in chapter seven of second Corinthians, you see the restoration is there. And then in chapters eight and nine, he gets back to the task of the mission of taking the offering for the saints in Jerusalem. And then in chapter 10, he comes in back and he says, now. Okay, now what? Now, I'm not stupid enough to know that there aren't some there in Corinth with the gift of murmuring. All right, the accusers. All right. And I'm coming back and I hope it's going to be three, maybe four months before I show back, show up after you get this letter, because you're going to read this in front of the congregation. All right. And I'm going to read this and I'm hoping they come to their senses. 
and join with the restoration. That is Paul's meekness and gentleness. I Then he uses an accusation that is against them, that has been used against him. He says, I who am meek when face to face with you, but bold toward you when absent. He said, you know what? He didn't pick a fight or nothing. He didn't defend himself when he was in the congregation and we brought these accusations. But he writes us a severe letter. All right, so he's a redneck when he's writing me a letter. But when he's face to face, he's cowardly. That would be one of the accusations against the Apostle Paul. But here's what he says in verse 2. His courage, his courage. You have compassion, but you have to have courage. Okay, I, some of you know my past. It's nothing to brag about. It was, it was awful. If I could do it another way, I would. But, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. Uh, I was uh, I was being sentenced to prison 20 to 40 when I came to Christ. Okay. So, it, you know, it's not really yay. All right. So I, I, I came to Christ. And I when I was released, uh, I thought that I would go back and deal with the people, um, bikers, um, drug dealers, the people that I kind of run with, and that that was where my ministry would be. And God said, I fooled you. He put me right in the midst of spiritual leadership. I wouldn't recommend that for anybody because mercy. Anyway, there are times when you have to be courageous. And if you've got a whole room full of pastors and somebody says something that's not biblical, what do you do? I mean, I, I don't go out looking for fights, but if it's not biblical, I will ask, where is that in the Bible? Okay, and, it, and, and that, you know, that, and it causes <laughs> conflict. Okay, it's not that I'm brave and I'm all-knowing and all the rest of it. You know, if it's in there, and I, maybe I just haven't read that part. But you have to have a part of you that says, I have a confidence in what this book says, and I ain't buying your system. Okay, because I've heard the systems, I've watched the system, I listen to the system. This changes people. It's like the Russian letters that I read you. We pray that these people come to repentance. You don't hear that in an American church. You don't hear that. I talked to these Russian brothers and sisters and even Pastor Paul and Myanmar and, and Pastor Philip, who's reaching the Taliban. And he's drawing people to repentance. Try that. Okay, and if you're feeling really brave, I mean, you're really feeling courageous and confident, <laughs> go explain to a woman what the role of a woman in a church is, okay? But make sure you got your tennis shoes on. That's one section of the scripture. I ain't teaching. I ain't touching that. I'll, I'll teach it. I'll teach the maps. This courage he speaks of here, look at what he says here. I urge you or beg you, okay, when I am present, okay, what he's trying to tell the Corinthians is my hope is that I don't have to be bold. 
I don't have to be in your face. I don't have to be combative. I don't have to have confrontation. But if I do, I will do so. Okay, if I've got to confront it, I got to confront it. I remember one time uh, a young man in our congregation, his wife, they were having issues. He called me up crying. And I said, well, what's going on? He said, well, my wife, uh, she, she's run off. I think she's out drinking. And I was like, well, all right. And so I went over to see if he was okay. And I prayed with him. And then I headed back into Castle Rock, or you know, back into downtown. And I was just looking for her van. And sure enough, I found it outside of a bar. And um, <laughs> I went in. And I was looking around and... Of course, there she was with a bunch of guys buying her all the booze that she could consume. And I tapped her on the shoulder. She turned around and turned into a ghost. And I said, uh, you shouldn't be here. She broke down, started crying, and so did all the boys chasing her. And uh, I took her home to her husband. Okay. Uh, listen, that's not my idea of having a good time. I mean, I didn't really have to confront her. I mean, me just standing there was enough to say, oops. But, you know, I, I don't know. Why? At that time, they were under my shepherding. And I went after the sheep. Okay? Paul says, if I have to, I will. And he didn't want to. Okay? But it wasn't because he was weak. See, a lot of people say, well, he don't confront nobody because he's weak. When all the attempts at compassion are used up, all the efforts at patience are used up, then you've run out of options. You're down to what? The term here in the New American Standard is to be bold. And it literally means to fight. To fight. Why? The Apostle Paul understood something that is missing our passion, our war, war today, when I hear people talk about spiritual war, you know what it is? It is to protect the truth. What does the book say? I protect the truth from the unrepentant. Paul says, I will protect this against these unrelenting rebels. Paul said, I'll fight. Not only will I fight, I will fight to win. Why? Because I'm after the protection of the truth. When only confrontation will pre preserve the truth, when it is only confrontation that secures the church, then we fight. Then we're bold, we're courageous. Paul would charge into battle. He would run to the fight because he wanted the security of truth. Now, if you don't think that that isn't powerful, let me give you an idea. And you go look at it a little later on your own. In Galatians chapter 2, he withstood Peter face to face for what he was doing. Now, listen. Peter. Face to face. Paul confronted Peter. Now, Peter's the one who got out of the boat. Peter is the one on the Mount of Transfiguration says, let's build a temple. Okay, that Peter, that Peter say, although all deny you, I will never 
That Peter. That Peter. Who took the knife. Cut off Moschius' ear. That Peter. Paul confronted. And he did rightly. He was hanging out with Gentiles when some Jews showed up. He all of a sudden couldn't hang out with no Gentiles. He'd already had the vision in Joppa of all the foods of the earth give thanks and eat. He understood that the temple was open now to Jew and Gentile and they were one. Peter understood that and yet he was playing favorites. Paul saw it. Paul confronted him. Now listen, I don't know about you. That takes some serious courage. Peter was the speaker of the twelve. And he confronted him to his face. That was Paul's courage. And if you go through the book of Acts, you see it filled with courage. In Acts 13, he had courage against the courts. He had courage against the councils. He had courage against the governors. He had courage against the kings, the religious leaders. Authorities even had courage against mobs. Why? For the protection of the truth. Paul was not weak. You need to understand that. Please understand that. When all of his attempts at compassion, at mercy, and gentleness, and humility are exhausted, then you got a fight on your hands. At verse 2 there, it says, I ask that when I am present, I need not be bold. He didn't want to come back to Corinth for a fight. He'd sent him a severe letter. There had been a movement among the larger general population of the church. You know, and he says, you know what? But if I got to be bold, understand I'm coming in confidence. I don't want to be bold. I do not want an in-your-face conflict. So I'm asking for you to repent. Those who are set in the corners and murmur, who didn't change. He's saying, confront them. Believe the truth so that I don't have to be bold, courageous. I don't have to confront you. I don't want you to see my courage. All right. But if I have to, I will show it to you. Please don't force it. See, that goes back to his compassion. Paul was a warrior. Paul had a warrior's attitude. And when needed, he could be bold. And he had a confidence. Because that confidence come out of his convictions. Now think about that, because I know a lot of people know a lot of things about the Bible, but I can tell by their lives, they don't have a confidence in it. They don't have the conviction of it. And they get swayed by anything that comes down the pike. Paul had a conviction, he had courage of his convictions. And you know what? And if need be, he'd fight. Look what he says then. He had a confidence in this. I don't want to be bold. If I have to be, I will be. With which I purposed. Okay. Purposed means um, uh, to judge, to reason, to think, to plan. Okay. I've planned. I've reckoned. I've purposed. What? To be courageous. 
You think about it. See that? I think, you know, I remember when I read it, it says meditate on the word. And I thought, well, that's silly. Meditate means take a nap. You read the word, take a nap. And I thought, wow, that's kind of crazy. But when I think about meditating on the word, if you take it back to the original language, uh, this is kind of graphic, but you'll get over it. Do you know when a cow chews cud? Okay, that's what it means to meditate. Okay, and if you literally want it, it means you keep burping it up and chewing it again. Okay, everybody feel pleasant? Go back to taking a nap. <laughs> okay, but you just keep chewing on it over and over and over. That's what I try to tell everybody. What have we been, nine years in Second Corinthians, boss? I don't know, nine or, nine or ten? Ten years? She keeps track of how long I've been going. I think I've been ten years in... Second Corinthians. I have read Second Corinthians every day for probably 11 years. Because I was reading it before I finished up First Corinthians. And I read it every day. Why? I'm belching it back up and chewing it again. Or if you want to be spiritual, I'm meditating on it. Okay? I don't know. People don't read. I, Jesus would look at the religious experts and says, Have you not read? Uh, I was talking to a uh, president, the ex-president of Denver Seminary, and he says he doesn't understand what's going on. He says, most of the kids that are in here in seminary, that's upper school. That's master's programs and up. He says, they don't know, they think that God of the Old Testament and God of the New Testament are different. And they don't know how the people in the Old Testament got saved. And I'm saying, how do you get, you're getting ready to get your master's work and you don't know that? And I just looked at him and said, see what the church is producing. It, this isn't that complicated. Listen, I, it, I'm a little slower learner, but that's why I keep reading it over and over and over. Okay, because it's just the way I am. Do you have confidence in what this book claims? Psalm 19 tells me that it only perfects your soul. That's it. Wow, okay. I guess I don't need much more than that. Paul says, I can do this. Okay, now I want to show you something here because there's a second word here. I purpose to be courageous against some who regard us as if we were walking. Okay, he has... A boldness with confidence, and I have purpose to be courageous. That the word literally means daring. Okay, I purpose to be daring. Isn't that cool? Okay, it means that I'm going to act without fear, regardless of the consequences. Try that. I have an abandonment of myself with no regard for my safety. I got Pastor Philip wants me to come over to Punjab and he says, we can sneak in. We've got a church plant in Pakistan. He says, you can preach there. And I'm, <laughs> I'm not that daring. <laughs> you know, get it offline, Pastor Philip. <laughs> get your little DVD thing or whatever you want to do. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> I'll, ca I'll catch them all in heaven, all right? Paul is saying, I want to be 
I want courage. I'll show you my courage because I have a courage of my conviction that knows no fear. It's daring. It's fearless. Basically, you know what? I look at this. He's warning these guys because this letter is going to get read, right? Everybody's going to come up. We got a letter from Paul. And, you know, the last letter we got from Paul was the severe letter. They would read all the way through chapter nine and think, oh, we're all back together again and all the rest of it. Then he'd hit chapter 10 and all the gift of murmuring would start going, oh, Paul's coming back loaded for bear. And that's what Paul's telling them. I don't want to come back that way, but by golly, I will. Paul said, I would act on with whatever is necessary for this battle because I am trying to secure the church and I'm defending truth. He is fearlessly daring. I'm willing to put his life on the line. Do you ever think about that? Is there anybody that you know has put their life on the line like the Apostle Paul? I mean, you know what? If Agabus takes my belt off, puts it around my feet and says, the guy who's got this belt on around his feet is going to go into bondage in Jerusalem, I'm reevaluating my travel plans. I mean, you know, what good am I in captivity? I know none of you would ever think that way. But I'm saying, you know, how am I going to get the gospel out of how I'm in chains? Fearlessly daring, life on the line, courage. You know what? It is a picture of a victorious and very tender warrior. Massive amounts of compassion. But he would always be in the front line of the fight. You know, I can go back. First Corinthians chapter 4. But I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills. And I will, verse 19, and I shall find out not the words of those who are arrogant, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in words, but in power. What do you desire? I mean, you know... (laughs) This shouldn't be new to these guys. In chapter 13 of 2 Corinthians, verse 10, For this reason I am writing these things while absent. Remember, they're accusing him that when he's gone, he's really bold when he's face to face. He's just a big girly boy. Chicken. Okay? Here's what he says. I'm writing these things while absent so that when... Present, I need not use severity in accordance with the authority which the Lord gave me for building up, not tearing down. Okay? If I've got to be severe, I'll be severe. If he has to. The authority of the Lord. He wants to strengthen them. He wants to build them up. Okay? Now then, I want to show you the last thing here. In this verse. Okay. I propose, I plan, I've reasoned, I've reckoned, I'm going to do this. To be courageous against some. Okay. Who is the some? All right. Look at what he says. Who regard us as if we walked according to the flesh. Okay. 
he had accusers who were saying that the Apostle Paul was operating according to the flesh. Okay, when you see the word walk there, it's, it's, a, it's an illustration of your public daily conduct. Okay, the picture of his daily conduct was that of someone walking in the flesh, being in the flesh. Lives their daily life according to what their flesh dictates. Okay, basically what they're saying is the Apostle Paul was unredeemed. Okay, that he was led by his sinful desires, that he was led by personal motivation of pride. Those still in Corinth who say Paul is a fake. He's a phony. He operates out of the flesh. Purely motivated by self. The desires of self. He's in it for the fame. He's in it for the money. See, listen. You can take this letter and read it all the way through. And you'll find that that is the core of the accusers. They're saying we're really saved. Paul ain't. Okay. There's only in it for the cash. And they were saying Paul was in it for the cash. Some regards us as walking to the, according to the flesh. There are those in your congregation who may not have changed yet, who think that we're doing this on our own. First seven chapters shows he, his against, his a, uh, defense against these attacks. Look, you know, I, you, if you get into leadership, church leadership, you're going to get attacked. Okay? I've been in this church as the senior pastor for 20 years. I've been attacked over and over and over again. Alright? And, and you know what? I, I've heard all the cliches. Don't take it personally. Right? Sure, no problem. Uh, you know, you'll get used to it. Right? Sure. You haven't ever done this, have you? Okay? Because you're, it's going to come. Okay, but you, I only defend myself when I have to protect the truth. And you know what I've learned to say when I have an accuser? Because it's funny about accusers. They don't do it to your face. They'll go get a little group. They'll get my little group. And then all of a sudden somebody in the group comes up and says, you know, I heard this. These are the guys who walk into your office and say, Terry, first of all, I want you to know, first and foremost, we love you dearly. As I get ready to harpoon you. Okay, yeah, all right, sounds great. Okay, but they get a little group and they murmur together and say this. And all I ever do now to defend myself is this, compare the fruit. I just leave it at that. And I mean, if it makes you mad and leave, then go start the Second Baptist Church. Okay, that's the stuff that I want us to think about because he says, this is what some are saying about me. The sum regard us to walking in the flesh. First seven chapters, he says, remember this? Okay. If you back up chapter 1, verse 12. For our proud confidence is this, 
the testimony of our conscience that in holiness and godly sincerity, not in fleshly wisdom, but in the grace of God, we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially towards you. Look at my life when I was there. I didn't have any special speeches. I didn't have any special philosophies. It was all the wisdom of God and I passed it on to you. If you go over to chapter 4, he speaks of having no life, hidden life of shame, and he has never adulterated the word. In chapter 2, verse six or 17, he says, We are not like many. What's the many? Peddling the word of God, but from sincerity, but from sincerity, but as from God, we speak in Christ in the sight of God. There are people in the church, you're not going to believe this, who are peddling the word of God. You know what that means, right? Selling it. I'm, I'm doing it for the money. I hear guys coming into this community right now that says they did a demographic study of this community and it can support X number of churches. You know what you just told me? I'm doing it for the cash. That's what they're saying. And chapter two or chapter seven, verse two, we have taken no advantage of anyone. That's the core of the conspiracy. A man of the flesh. Those are the ones who are not regenerate. They're doing it. They're peddling the word. I remember, uh, I had a dear friend, he's in glory now. He was a survivor of Bataan. He started getting sick, a little more sick, a little more sick. And um, he he told me that uh, he didn't own anything Japanese. I remember I had a little Nissan pickup and I was going to take him up to the VA hospital. He wouldn't ride in it. And I was like, all right, so we took his car. And, and, I, sorry, man. <laughs> you know, I, I don't even think I owned American at that time. But anyway, uh, alright, that's the way it goes. And, and I remember one time he was nearing death, probably his last month or so, and he, he looked at me and I said, so how you doing? And, uh, he said, alright. He says, bothering him, he couldn't see very well anymore and he couldn't read his Bible and all the rest of it. And, uh, he says, I've got to ask you a personal question. And I said, what's that? And he says, I don't think that I have forgiven the Japanese. And I said, uh, why not? And he says, because I remember how they treated us. And I said, Henry, forgiveness comes from the Lord. Okay. Oh, you want me to do? Blow his doors off? Well, if you can't forgive them, how are you? You want me to go find you one and you can tell them you're sorry? See what I mean? But forgiveness comes from the Lord. You know what? I don't know what Henry went through. I know the numbers that went into captivity and the numbers that came out, and they don't add up. I know that they used to give them um, raw rice. Still in the shell. And with hopes that they would eat it 
out of starvation, that it, it, the shell would cut up the insides of their belly and they'd have, die of internal bleeding. And they wouldn't have to feed them anymore. And he says, if you took the time to try to shuck out each of those little, he says, you use more calories trying to peel the rice than you did to get the calorie out of the rice. How do you tell? Ah, well, you know. But I told him, I said, forgiveness is from the Lord. So don't sweat it. And he seemed at peace about it. But you still deal with it. You still have to deal with it. Paul says, when I get there, I'll deal with this. When I come, I'll be loaded for bear. He's armed for war. But if the rebellious have not changed when I arrive, then there will be a conflict. Why? I want you to think about this. Paul was as a compassionate as his Lord and Savior. Okay, do you understand that? He wanted to be like his Lord. But if you think about it, when Jesus dealt with the money changers and the guys selling offerings in the temple courtyard, he run them off. Stirred up some trouble. But look at the mercy he had. I mean, I think about Peter. He says, you know, will you stay? And he says, if all forsake you. I will never. And Jesus looks at him and says, hey, Satan's asked to sift you. But when you've been restored, which he should have got that word right off the bat, which means you're not going to pass the test. Okay, so when you get restored, you can strengthen the brethren. By the cock crow, you'll deny me three times. And yet he still sought Peter out and said, will you feed my sheep? Will you feed my lambs? Will you tend my sheep? That's mercy and compassion. But he would fight. If you don't believe me, go read Revelations. When he shows up the next time, there will be no doubt. See, there is a point that the enemy will set its defenses down. Think about it. All the armies of the world decide to get into the valley of Megiddo and fight Christ. Brilliant idea. Okay? There will become a time for battle. This is a true Christian soldier. Because they're compassionate as God is in Christ. They are courageous when demanded. This makes them, as Paul told Timothy, a noble vessel. A vessel of honor. Okay? Next week I want to look at the noble soldier's weapon. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the Apostle Paul and what he, what you did through him. Father, may we understand that uh, all the sufferings that he endured, the afflictions, he was never crushed, he was perplexed, but he was not despairing, he was persecuted, but he was not forsaken, struck down, not destroyed, caring about the body, dying of Christ so that Christ may be manifest before a lost and dying people. Help us, Lord, to understand that what we are in is a war. This is not a feel-good thing. This is not a place for timidness. And yet, the compassion of Christ control us, and Father, and let us be confident and courageous when we need to be.
Help us, Lord. Help us to stand in your grace and mercy. In Christ's name. Amen. Thank you.